Thank you so much, Rob. The great reminder today, nothing but the blood of Christ can save us. And that's what we're going to be talking about today. So if you have your Bibles with you, please open them to Romans. We'll be in Romans chapter 1, verses 1 to 6, which is on page 547. And as you turn there, my name is Pastor Nate. I'm the lead pastor here at NOAD. And it's, if, you're, if you're visiting, just please make sure you touch base with us. It'd be great to meet you and to talk with you. And as a reminder also, uh, so that someone doesn't come to me and say, why was the service long next week? Next week. We're having a baptism service next week. So you can be praying for those people as they make that step of obedience to publicly proclaim their faith. And I say those people because there's multiple so please be praying for that as well. God is so good. What a great time it is to come together. On Friday, we saw the sufficiency of Christ as Pastor Chris preached through Leviticus, a great passage reminding us of how the atonement of the Old Testament, the day of the atonement was not sufficient, but Christ's blood is sufficient. It alone paid the price for our sins. He is a sinless, perfect lamb whose death was sufficient. And today we celebrate that not only was his death sufficient, but the tomb is empty. That God has received that payment for our sins. That everything that Jesus had said is true. The debt has been paid in full for all those who repent and believe in Jesus Christ. And as you're reflecting upon this this Easter, I was thinking of some weird dreams that I've had. And I know this is an interesting segue, so go with me on this one. <laughs> but, uh, you know, I've had a few weird dreams in my married life. You know, I don't talk in my sleep. I don't do any of those things except for these few times. And one time I was having this dream where I felt like there were mice falling from the ceiling attacking my wife. So... As the chivalrous husband I am, I sought to protect her with a pillow uh, <laughs> covering her mouth. <laughs> you know, dreams are funny. I've also had one dream not that long ago, actually it was a while ago, where I felt stuck. Like I knew I was in this dream state, but I couldn't get out of it. Like no matter what I did, you couldn't snap myself out of it. No matter what happened, I was stuck. And I think we've all felt like that at one point or another. But as I look at the gospel, as we see in Romans 1, 1 to 6, I'm reminded of how stuck we were. We all find ourselves in a situation that we can do nothing to free ourselves from. And that's the whole point of this whole weekend, is once again to remind ourselves that there's nothing that we could do to make ourselves better before a holy God. We're all born into this. It's inescapable. But Easter shows us that there is something or someone that can free us. The empty tomb is a declaration. It's a declaration. So Romans 1, we'll be reading from verses 1 to 6. Uh, the, big ver the big numbers are the chapters, and the little numbers are the verses. So just follow along with me. Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God, which he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures concerning his son, who was descendant from David according to the flesh and was declared to be the son of God in power according to the spirit of holiness by his resurrection from the dead. Jesus Christ, our Lord, 
through whom we have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of his name among all the nations, including you who are called to belong to Jesus Christ. This is the word of the Lord. Let me pray. Father, we come to continue to worship you. I pray that you give us hearts and minds and ears that long to know you as you have revealed yourself specifically in your word. I pray that we would continue to worship you and how we listen. And Lord, this Easter, I want to make much of you, just like we seek to every Sunday. But Lord, there's no way that I can do this on my own. So by your Spirit, Lord, will you enable me to preach this sermon with what is needed, to use this sermon to bring glory to your name, and God, to bring salvation to the lost. And amen. In verses 1 to 2, we see how the gospel is promised. But now we first need to understand this introduction here. This is an introduction to a letter, and I encourage you to read Romans. It's a great book. They're all great, just as a preface. But Paul, who is he? He's a servant. And actually, if you were to get into the Greek there, the Greek there is doulos, which means slave. And there's a big difference, I find. For us, as an English folk, we kind of read that word servant, and I don't know if you are like me, but I automatically think of a show called Downton Abbey, where they had a whole bunch of servants, right? Based on the 1800s and early 1900s of England. This isn't what Paul is talking about here. He's not a hired hand that could quit his job and go get another job, like a servant's. He's a slave, as he says. Someone who has become the property of, who has an owner. Now, in the ancient world, slaves could earn their freedom, so it's different than what we often think of automatically when we think of America, and even in the British Empire. But in the ancient world, a slave could buy their freedom. So it's it's a different picture than what we see. But the point is this, is that Paul does not view himself as a hired hand, but as someone who's been bought. He is not his own. And if he's a doulos, he had a kyrios, which is a lord, a master. And Paul is completely at the disposal of, of his master. And that's what he's saying in those first three words. I am Paul. I am a slave to Christ. I have been bought. As 1 Corinthians 6 says, you are not your own, for you were bought with a price. And on Friday, we were told about what that price was. Paul had learned that humanity is only free when we become a slave to Christ. Without Christ, Paul is still a slave to sin. But when enslaved to Christ, he knows the royal liberation that only comes with Jesus Christ. But not only is he a slave, but He's also been set apart for a task as he continues on. He's called to be an apostle. As the slave of Christ, Paul isn't representing himself, but Christ as the one who has purchased and enlisted him into this task. He's not about promoting himself. He's about making much of Jesus. The one who bought him out of the bondage of sin. 
We just sung about it with amazing grace. The chains are gone. What does it mean to be called? It means to be called to repentance. I think sometimes we think of, uh, when we think of called, we're like, you know, when someone calls us at our house, and we have this option, right? Especially if you have caller display. <laughs> Do I pick up this call? Do I receive this call or not? But that's not what Paul's talking about. Paul, for Paul, to be called is a call to repentance. This isn't an invitation to represent what you're allowed to do and that you're allowed to turn this down at your own whim. You know, I can accept this invitation or not. This is a command to repent. Acts 17 says, The time of ignorance God overlooked, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent. So when God calls Paul, he's called him to repentance, to acknowledge that he was wrong and turn from his sin and to follow Jesus Christ. This is God's effectual call on Paul to himself and also called him to being an apostle. And he will root this all in this next couple of sentences as we keep going through. But he's been called to be an apostle. An apostle is someone who is a sent person. It's someone who has the authority to do a special, specific, unique job. It is someone who has seen the resurrected Jesus. Who has seen Jesus work on this earthly place. Who has received a call specifically from Jesus himself. But he's been put on a task. He's been on a mission. And that mission is, as he says right here, and set apart for the gospel of God. That's his job. The gospel. He is Paul. First thing we see about him, he is a slave. He is a servant. He's been bought with a price. He has been called by God, called to repent. Called to do what? To be an apostle. To do what? Set apart for the gospel of God. In his call, he was set and commissioned to a task. He is the proclaimer of the good news. And that has come from God and is about God. He is the caregiver of that message about Jesus. He has been bought. He has been set apart. And he is the custodian of this good news that is from and about Jesus Christ. And what's cool here is that Paul is saying that this gospel message is not his not his at all is God's God owns it God originated it God designed it God is now going to simply use Paul to communicate it to you and to me today see in the ancient world the Roman world which is where Paul is writing this actually literally he's writing it to the Christians who live in Rome during the ancient Roman Empire there were hundreds of gods. And in the ancient Roman world, there were hundreds of gods, but here there's only one who has sent the gospel. But what is the gospel? The gospel was a message that declares something beforehand as he continues on. In verse 2, the gospel he promised beforehand. The gospel is promised. You know, I, I don't like making promises. In fact, if you talk to my children, I don't make them at all. They hate it. Dad, why don't you promise that? And my response is always, because I don't know if I can actually make it happen. So if they ask me something, can we do this? I always go, we'll see. We'll see. We'll try, maybe. 
I don't know. But God used the prophets like Moses and Isaiah, Daniel, and others who told of the promises that God made centuries before in a declared message. See, when God makes a promise, see, think about it. When we make a promise, we're saying, I promise to do something. We're guaranteeing it. Unfortunately, we don't always guarantee that, right? I don't know how many of us, myself included, have broken a promise, not on purpose, but just because we couldn't fulfill it. When God makes a promise, he makes a promise. It always happens. In fact, he made this promise long before. On Friday, we were reading through Isaiah, Isaiah 53, that promised a Savior who would be crushed for our iniquities. And Paul here is again saying and reminding us this gospel was promised beforehand. The gospel was announced in promised form through the preaching of the prophets. And this promised gospel is holy, as he continues on. It means it's unique, it's different. In, for, in 2 Timothy 3, we see that all scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for correction and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete equipped for every good work, meaning that the gospel that Paul is going to talk about is inspired by God, and there is nothing like it throughout all history. Nothing. But the gospel has a unique function. It tells a story. It tells a story of the history of salvation. It points to the redemption of a sinful world by a person we will see in verse 3. Someone who has the power to redeem people who are unredeemable on their own. And that is who Paul is. And this is the message that Paul is declaring as he talks about what the gospel is. And Paul continues to flush this out as we see the power of Christ being declared in an empty tomb. Jesus is the fulfillment of all the Old Testament as a descendant of David who will rule over everything and rule forever because he is the Messiah. So in verses 3 to 4, we begin to see how the gospel is being fulfilled. And even though humanity is in bondage to sin and a slave to its uh, sinful desires, its evil impulses, inclinations, and desires, Jesus Christ made it possible through the cross for us to be purchased from bondage to be purchased from darkness, to be bondage of sin, to be slaves to Christ. Because where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom, as 2 Corinthians 3.17 says. See, this good news, the gospel of God is fulfilled in Jesus Christ. As he says in verse 3, it's regarding his son. The gospel is about Jesus. It's a message about Jesus and what he has done. And even though he is a descendant of David, meaning that he is human, but also pointing back to the promise, meaning in Jesus, he is a, he's a fulfillment of the Old Testament prophets of how a Messiah was going to come. He would share in our weaknesses. He is also the Son of God. He is fully divine. He is the one through whom and all things were created. He is unique. And he alone is able to break the bonds of sin to set us free from a kingdom of darkness. And as Paul continues on in verse 4, this is all done through the spirit of holiness and power. This wasn't a 
Hey, a little subtle hint, right? When you think of the word power, what do you think? Something that can be hidden easily? This is a giant declaration, a giant massive sign saying that Jesus who is who he said he is and has the power to do what he said he would do. And what is proof of all these things is the resurrection. It's the empty tomb. The tomb is empty. It declares everything that Jesus accomplished on the cross to be true. God's giant stamp of approval by his resurrection from the dead, literally from among the dead. And here's the thing. Unless Jesus comes today or soon, we're all destined to die. Unless Jesus comes back. And this is, there's this English poet from the late 1800s named A.C. Swinburne that wrote a poem called The Garden of Persepine. And it says this, from too much love of living, from hope and fear set free, we thank with brief thanksgiving whatever gods may be, that no life lives forever, that dead men rise up never, and when the weariest rivers wins somewhere safe to see. It is incredibly depressing and long. This is a poem of lament about the times where our loved ones turn to dust, and we will too. But don't forget what Paul says about Jesus. Jesus does not turn to dust. Romans 8, 29 says, For those who he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, in order that he might be the firstborn among the brothers. The empty tomb declares Jesus' power to conquer death. In Jesus' resurrection, a powerful statement has been made. This means for the person who has repented and believed will have the same thing happen to them. The gospel unites believers with the one who died and rose on their behalf. Paul, and what Paul is saying is that there is only one way to God the Father, and that is through Jesus, the Son of God. We talk about this five-finger gospel sometimes, which is taken out of 1 Corinthians 15, that Christ died for our sins and rose again. And this is what Paul is talking about. Christ, he is a long-awaited Messiah, the one who was promised from beforehand. God himself steps down from his throne. Christ dies, he dies. He doesn't like become unconscious and kind of like suddenly makes himself well enough to somehow get out of a tomb. He literally dies, his heart stops pumping. He's dead. But he dies in the place of, and that's what we mean by that little word called for. He, he dies in the place of something. This is his substitutionary death. He dies in the place of. He dies in the place of who? He, Christ died for our, his people's sins. We've all sinned. We've all fallen short of the glory of God. We're all in a darkness and trapped and stuck in a muck that we can't get ourselves out of. The Bible describes us as dead in our trespasses. And last I checked, a dead person can't do anything. And that's where we are. But Christ comes and he dies for our sins. But the gospel doesn't end there. The Bible doesn't end there because he rose from the dead meaning that everything that Christ has done has been accepted by a holy God who we've sinned against. 
so that anyone who repents and believes in that Jesus Christ is Lord and Savior, not maybe, not kinda, possibly, but will be saved. The person, the work of Jesus Christ is the only means of salvation. And this is why every week you have our pastors or our elders stand up here and we preach the gospel every week. Every Sunday calling those who don't know Jesus as Lord and Savior to repent and to believe in Jesus because Jesus is the only way. He's the only one who's conquered the grave. He is the only one who is sufficient to pay the price for our sins that we deserve. And God's giant stamp of approval on what Jesus did was raising him from the dead. And Jesus was resurrected on the third day and appeared to many of his disciples to prove it. By being raised from the dead, God made clear that the full price of sins has been paid for by his son, Jesus Christ. The empty tomb declares Jesus' power. And when we start messing around with that, we lose everything. If the tomb is not empty, if the resurrection did not happen, then all that Paul has said about Jesus is not true. In fact, if Easter didn't happen, Good Friday is not good. It's just another day when somebody got crucified on the cross. and went through a horrific thing. Without Easter, Christmas means nothing. Because it's not the, boor, it's not the birth of the long-awaited Messiah. And if Jesus is not who Paul says, Jesus is unable to take away our sins. And that's why 1 Corinthians 15 is so explicit on this. That if Jesus did not die and did not rise again, our faith is futile. The faith that can't save. But as he continues on in 1 Corinthians 15, 20, but in fact, he says, Christ has been raised from the dead and the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. Do you believe that Jesus Christ rose from the grave? Have you repented and believed all that Jesus says he is? Are you resting in him for salvation alone? Jesus alone has a power to free you and in Christ you are free indeed. If you claim to believe this, let me ask you this. Does it reflect in your life? Because in verse 4, the Apostle Paul says, Jesus Christ, our Lord. Who is Paul's Lord? Who is his master? Who is his owner? Who is his kyrios? It is Jesus Christ. Lord in the Old Testament is a title used for God. It is the Greek form of a Hebrew word called Adonai, which means sovereign one. Jesus is the one who reigns over all. The title that was reserved for God in the Old Testament is now being used for Jesus. And this reminds me of a wonderful passage in Philippians 2, where it says, Therefore God has highly exalted him, and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. The one who died on the cross was not just a man, he was also God. The one who spoke everything into being. God himself 
died for his people's sin. This is that name. This is Jesus Christ. Every tongue, and I mean every tongue. When the Bible says every, it means every. Just as many languages are in this world will confess this, that Jesus Christ is Lord. Now the question is, will you do that with fear or trembling, with a gnashing of teeth and a weeping as you spend eternity in hell? Or will you say it with praise and thanksgiving as you spend eternity with Jesus Christ who paid the price for your sins, making it possible for us to do that? And he is the one who died for our sins and rose again, who ascended to the right hand of God the Father and will one day return to judge the living and the dead. See, to call Jesus Christ our Lord is to give Jesus authority and sovereignty. So when Jesus is called Lord of someone's life, it means that they acknowledge him as their ultimate authority and submit to him and his will. This means recognizing that Jesus is God, his redemptive work on the cross, and his ongoing work in the believer's life through the work of the Holy Spirit. Being a follower of Jesus means not I get to do whatever I want, but aligning myself to what God and what Jesus has, teached, has taught, and it was an example for, because he is Lord. This includes obeying his commands, a willingness to serve him, and a desire to grow in spiritual maturity. It also involves a commitment to love and to serve others as Jesus did, which includes sharing the gospel and making disciples of Jesus Christ. The idea of Jesus being Lord of one's life is so central to the Christian life. And it is foundational part of our relationship with God. So the question, and this is important, to repent and believe is to have Jesus as Lord. Is he Lord of your life? The empty tomb is a declaration of the power of Christ. He is the Son of God. He is the firstborn among many brothers. He has led the way in conquering death. And as Romans 5:17 says, for if because of one man's trespass, death reigned through the, that one man, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace. What's abundance mean? Overflowing. Abundance of grace. And the free gift of righteousness reign in the life through this one man, Jesus Christ. He is Lord. So what do we do with this gospel when we receive it? We see this in verses 5 to 6 as the gospel is received. See, the gospel is about how Jesus Christ died for our sins, as Paul's been talking about, but that he also rose again. And when he rose from the grave, he declared Jesus' power to save. But what does the gospel do? What is the outcome of believing the gospel? Because in verse 5 he says, through him. It is through Jesus that all of these things that he's about to talk about is happening. You can't hustle hard enough to get into the kingdom of God. So let's just throw that out there, okay? Robert already talked about this with our children. You can't work hard enough. It's only by the blood of Christ. But there is an outcome of your life, of a changed heart, what it means to follow Christ. 
So through him, it is through Jesus that all this happens. Through Jesus' resurrection, for those who believe, we have what? We have received grace. What is grace? God's grace is a gift that we can never earn or deserve. It is a free gift that God gives his, us because he loves us and not because of anything we've done to earn it. It is a means that we can't work our way into heaven by doing good things and, and being good people. When someone becomes a Christian, it's because God has first given them a new heart that enables them to believe this is grace. This change is something that only God can do. And once someone has become a Christian, they will continue to follow Jesus for the rest of their lives. And not perfectly, because we're all messed up. But they believe that this is because of God's grace is so powerful that it will help them to keep following Jesus even when things get hard. God's grace is a free gift that we can never earn, and it's powerful, and, and it's something that changes us from the inside out. Grace is so powerful that it will help us to keep following Jesus for the rest of our lives. And that's why Paul says, as someone who has been commissioned by God, who has seen the resurrected Jesus, as someone who has received the apostleship, he says, look, as he declares the gospel, there's an outcome of this. As he continues on, as an apostle, he declares this to bring about the obedience of faith. See, the message of the gospel is not just information, but a call to obedience. We're supposed to do something with it. It's not just like something that tickle our ears and kind of walk away from that, this place and be like, man, that guy looked really good in a tie. I'll say it. I've already been called it like 20 times this morning. That's not what this is about. If you walk away from that thinking, man, how good was Pastor Nate looking today? We've missed the point. You, you feel free to tell me that. That's okay. <laughs> but we missed the point. We are supposed to do something when we hear the good news of Jesus Christ. We are to repent, which means to agree with God that we are sinners and renounce our sin and turn our back on the old way of life and to believe, which means to put all of our confidence, every ounce of us, to lean into the promises of God every day. That Jesus is our substitute whose death was enough to rescue us from the hell we deserve. The outcome of grace is the obedience that comes from faith. And true faith in Jesus brings obedience to God's will, as Christ and the Bible has, has said. John 14 says, Jesus himself says, if you love me, you will keep my commands. So if I have a changed heart that enables me to believe that the outflow of that are things of, of seeking to follow Christ. To believe in Jesus is to obey Jesus. Like imagine this. So uh, an engineer, I have an uncle of mine's a civil engineer who I complain to regularly uh, for construction on the highways because uh, he does it. And, uh, but every time, imagine if he, as a civil engineer, designs this bridge. 
He oversees a bridge, but he refuses to walk across the bridge. But he says to me, hey, I believe that this is a sound structure. Does he believe it to be a sound structure? No. In fact, you probably shouldn't go across it yourself. See, the message of the gospel is also a call to obedient faith. If I say I believe something, it means I'm seeking to follow through with it. I'm seeking to follow Jesus. And why do we do this? As he continues on, for his name's sake. Remember what we have learned about Paul so far. He does everything as one who is under the authority of Jesus and does what he does according to God's will, to Jesus' will. Paul doesn't make money off preaching. He's not panhandling and going, hey, that was great words I said. You should pay me. He doesn't make money off this, but proclaims it because the risen Christ claimed, has a claim on his life for a purpose. He preaches and teaches for Christ's sake, not his own. He wants to proclaim from the mountaintops that Jesus Christ died for our sins, that he rose again and that he will one day return, that he declares at the empty grave that Jesus is powerful enough to free us all from the darkness that we can't get out of. What are the reasons for why you tell the gospel? What are the reasons why you don't? Is there no greater name than Jesus Christ? For his name's sake? to make much of Jesus. The empty tomb declares the power of Jesus and tells us who he is. So Paul brings language in that echoes from the very beginning. He uses words like called and, and belonged to describe people who have been chosen by God, just like how Paul has been chosen by God to be an apostle. Paul believed that all believers in Jesus are chosen by God for a special purpose, and that purpose is to belong to Christ to worship him, to serve him. And this is all possible through faith in Jesus Christ. The gospel is promised in the coming Messiah who would be a descendant of King David. The gospel is fulfilled in Jesus Christ who is the son of God and the power of Jesus to fulfill is declared in the empty tomb. And the gospel calls us to obedience. So what, you may be asking, why does Paul come out of the gate swinging in this letter, right? He's just saying hello. Like, we start our letters with, hey, if you write a letter, email. Yeah. Why does Paul come out of the gate swinging like this in this letter of Romans? You know, remember back with me about my dream, feeling how I was stuck, you know, Steph actually noticed that because I was kind of wiggling my bed, I guess, and trying to figure out what was going on. And she actually had to shake me out of that. We're all stuck, and we can't get out. So Paul wants to come out of the gate swinging to declare something very true. Jesus Christ died for our sins and rose again. The tomb is empty. It declares the power of the only one who can get us out of the most stuck situation that we're all in, and that is our sin. We all find ourselves in that situation. 
I love Romans 6, 15 to 18. What then? Are we to sin because we are not under the law, but under grace? By no means, he continues on. Do you not know that if you are present, uh, sorry, do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one whom you obey? He continues on. We are slaves to Christ. And he says in verse 18, having been set free from sin, having become slaves to righteousness. The empty tomb is that declaration that Christ has the power to free us from darkness, that no matter how hard we try, we can never escape. The empty tomb declares the power of Christ to save. Because the gospel is everything. The gospel is the good news that Jesus Christ has died for our sins and rose again. The grave is empty. The debt is cleared. And God's giant stamp of approval is found in the resurrection. The empty tomb is a declaration that Christ has the power to free us from darkness. The empty tomb affirms that truth of Jesus' claims about himself. Jesus repeatedly said that he would rise from the dead again. Now imagine if Jesus continuously said those things and then it never happened. But it did happen. And this shows that Jesus is who he claims to be. That he is the son of God and the only way to salvation for sinners. There's that famous C.S. Lewis quote that we always quote all the time. Nowhere in the Bible does it say that you, can, you cannot allow yourselves to think that Jesus is just a simple nice guy. Either he says who he is or he doesn't. If he says he is, if he is who he says he is, you and I have a serious situation. Because he says that we're all sinners. And that we need to be saved. And that he alone is a way that provides that. The empty tomb shows that God's power over sin and death. Sin and death are the greatest enemies of humanity, and they are plagued, they have plagued us since the fall of Adam and Eve. But in rising from the dead, Jesus shows his power over sin and death, showing that he is greater than the enemies that they that they, that he has conquered all of them. The empty tomb gives us hope to those who believe the gospel. The resurrection of Jesus is not just a historical fact because it actually happened, but it is also a source of hope and encouragement for you and I as Christians today. It reminds us that death is not the end. That's why we, we mourn differently, as 1 Thessalonians says but that there is a future resurrection for all believers who are in Christ. This gives us confidence that our lives have purpose and meaning and that one, that our ultimate destiny is to secure it in him. The empty tomb declares the power of Jesus because it confirms his claim over himself, shows God's power over sin and death, and gives hope to believers. As Christians, we find comfort and assurance in the fact that Jesus has conquered death and that we too will share in that victory. The tomb is empty, and it declares the power that Jesus has to free us from the darkness of sin. So the question for you today is, do you believe this? Do you believe the tomb is empty? The empty tomb declares that Jesus has the power to free us from the darkness of sin. So let us continue to worship the God who rose from the dead.
Let us continue to worship him today.